Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Well, welcome, everyone, uh, back to the few. And today, man, we have got a uh, an awesome, an awesome guest. Not only are we talking to someone who has, uh, who is one of the few, who's taken life uh, by the horns and and owns it. Uh, he actually helps other people with their own adventures and their own desires and dreams to to become one of the few. Absolutely. So, really excited today to uh, to welcome to the podcast um, Anthony Trucks. So, welcome, Anthony. Thank you, man. I got I got to say, this probably is not the first time you've heard this, but that intro, like, I felt it was like game time right now, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm put my helmet back on. Let's go around the tunnel. Uh, get us get us g'd up. Yeah, know, it does. For, it for does. It's kind of, it kind of gives you. It just helps situate the moment. It does. Sort of it's worked so up pro. before you start talking. I, I immediately <laughs> had had like the, what do they call it? Like uh, intro envy for my podcast. Immediately. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. But uh, yeah, thank you again, Anthony. And uh, the podcast, The Few, is about those that are actually living their purpose and have actually found a way to actually be one of the people that's living their purpose, whatever that might be. And uh, to talk to, to a, I suppose, a fellow you know, coach, mentor, or someone who's there out there to help people uh, develop and grow is, is you know, very, very, uh, I'm very excited for today's podcast. Me too, man. So some of the background. So just to give uh, our, our listeners a bit of background, you know, you've had a, an interesting and uh, colorful journey. I mean, uh, uh, got, got into the NFL. We'll go into some, some details about that, which is American uh, football. Uh, we're on American Ninja, you know, been seen on TV, you're an author, you're a speaker, you, you, you juggle three kids and try and keep them out of your office while you're doing your Zooms. You know, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a whole uh, depth and breadth there of, of, of experience and background for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, uh, yeah, I, would, I would say maybe 10, 20 years ago, NFL was very much American football, something that was uh, confined to the States. But over the, the last few years, it's exploded with streaming services. There's uh, Last Chance You, there's uh, yeah. movies, you name it, series, everything, Friday Night Lights. Uh, it is it is a sport and a code that has transcended the US. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And uh, my kids uh, and I, we, we, quite, we quite get into that because there's a lot of inspirational stories around uh, NFL. I mean, what does, it, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to someone to play in the NFL. Hey, man. You know, it's crazy. I'm going to be very honest right now. I just, in the last probably three, four months, finally decided to start talking more about the football part of my world. There's so much depth there, so many stories, but I felt like people saw me as like a dumb jock. It was very much so all in my head. What I'm coming to find is that there was a vast level of respect for me having done that. It's super weird. I don't know what it is, but here's the thing, man. Football, imagine being in an environment where every single day someone's telling you you don't have a job. Um, you have to give all of your all, having no idea if you'll get the return, which means I make the team, I get you know put in, whatever it is. And you have the potential of physically damaging your body beyond repair. Like, so you're willingly crazy. throwing your body. It's crazy. Like you, it's, it's seriously a car accident every single play. And you get used to it. It's normalcy. But here's what it did teach me, man. Of all things, uh, I learned how to be able to plan at a level, like have dreams beyond what made logical sense. I mean, it's not but, but logical. Go, but go back a step, Anthony. How do you like somewhere in there uh, within the depths of you? This this thing NFL, this this idea of it took seed, right? And and obviously you, a lot of your early life and 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 school and focus was around achieving that. Where where did that that kernel come from? Because one of the things that we find really interesting about the few. Is is like one thing, and, and they and they commit and they focus to that, and and they get there, and often it's taken away, or often something happens. But oh what, yeah, it happened. Where where did that germinate from? Um, as a kid, man, like so, the NFL is a great experience because you learn how to play at the highest level in the world. But to get there, you got to do a bunch of craziness. You have to go through a lot of headaches that nobody else even experiences or knows experience. So for me, it started out as a kid. Like I didn't play football until I was fourteen. Most people in America, they start around six or seven, maybe eight years old. So I was already six years behind them, and I sucked when I first started, man. Like, I was garbage, like horrible. And two years, I was really, really bad. And you asked where that kernel came from, man. There was one moment where I checked out. My, I'd been adopted at 14 to an all-white family. My mom had been diagnosed with MS, and I was horrible at football. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Why, why do I want to do something that makes me feel like I suck every day? 
So I stopped doing it. And one girl in one English class when I was in high school made a statement that really turned everything around. She says out loud, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care, which I had been in. So the excuse that I was, I was making to quit, I heard out loud. I was like, that's a stupid excuse. Like it was a gift. And so that, that made me kind of dig back in and say, what do I got to do to be a guy, to be the one who's not like trying to play football, be a football player. And that was the, that was the seed, man. That seed I watered over the years and went through probably more pain than anybody logically should. Like it's not logical to go through that pain. However, in hindsight, it built a beast. The things you have to do to get to that level, I mean, just to go from high school to college is a small percentage. College to the NFL is like 0.02%, right? So to get where I got, dude, I was a crazy man. I still am. I have that edge. It's just a different direction for it. But you got you to be one of the few. Quite literally, statistically, I am one of the few human beings who ever played at the highest level in the world of football. And so you you, you got in there, you, you realized that dream. You, you, you're actually in the NFL and you're there, you're ready to go. Tell us what happened, you know, not long after that. Oh, NFL stands for not for long. Not for long. <laughs> it's, it's, it's you're in, man. My third year playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. I tear my shoulder in the game. Ends up being the end of my season and eventually the end of my career. They all went on to hit, win a Super Bowl, by the way, that, that year. But I got hurt in the first preseason game. So career was done. Watched them all win. And man, so like it was, it was taken. Well, how did that feel? How, how did that feel, man? Horrible, like, bro. All it's, that effort. I mean, and then oh. all of that. You know what? The thing wow. is, at the time, I, nowadays, I got a vast different uh, attachment to it. It does suck. It'd be nice to have a ring. I'm not going to lie. It'd be nice to have a Super Bowl ring. However, like after the fact of the game, like I did notice, I, I did some brain studies. I have a little bit of physical damage from the brain. If I keep playing, who knows why my brain is, right? On top of that, I find that my personal story is one that's a far more benefit to the world than me rocking a helmet. I loved playing the game, but I actually love doing what I do now more. It's very, it's like, it also lets me to be present at home with my wife and kids. Before I was gone across the country, you're waking up by yourself, going to bed by yourself every day. It's not a great existence. On top of every single day, you might get fired. Like it's a different, and they tell you too. They don't make it a secret. They're like, hey, we're going to cut you if you don't figure this out. Like, damn, all right. Like, So now I have a, a better enjoyment not only for my life, but what I get to do with it. Do you think that that enjoyment comes from the shift that that obviously you know, we've we've spoken to some other you know sports people or, or people that are the top top of their field, and obviously one of the few. Do you feel that that obviously that journey is very much a we call it a selfish one to a point like you have oh, to yeah. be so focused on yourself, diet, exercise, sleep, you know all the other stuff, the, the skills, you. the development. It's all about you playing and you doing it. Whereas obviously the shift that you've had to undertake is to now turn that around and actually go. Well, I'm actually going to help other people. So yeah. how important do you think that is in, in that sense of well-being that you've got now? Yeah, man, the, you can't, uh, man, you can't fully be full unless you're pouring out. Like I can't, it's a different way to explain it. When I'm, when I'm playing the game, it is for me. And there's a lot of people that play the game and they get done or they're in the game. They just, it's money and it's just for me. And it's, it's like you said, it's very selfish and it's not fulfilling to do it. You may have fun, have a blast, it's going to be wrong. But even guys who play, what do they do? They start charities. They give back. They do, you know, turkey. They, they're giving. And the thing is, whenever you're able to give, that's what fills you up. And so not everybody gets to that point. And for me, like, I guess weirdly, luckily, I was able to exit that game in a certain way that allowed me to find something that allows me to be full. It took a while to get here. This was a long journey to being a guy that has something to give back because you also can't give what you don't have. But once you get it, man, the next level of enjoyment, I think of filling life is giving. Like it's, a, it's how do I, and not just money, but like time and insight, spending time with you guys on a podcast. I don't know. We have no idea who's going to hear this. I, we have no clue. But the truth is someone's going to hear it that we don't know that it will change their life. I'll never know them. They won't send me a message, but they'll change their life. That's why I do what I do now. Yeah, that's so true. It's always uh, amazing when you're talking to somebody or you're in a, an event or a conference or even just catching up with a friend and they go, oh, it was really cool what you said in that in that moment. You're like, oh, wow, you listened to that? Didn't even know. You, 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 that's kind of cool. Uh, and I like, I like where you went there, Anthony. It's probably something that uh, I probably, I didn't really experience till I was in my late thirties uh, as a fighter pilot. It's pretty similar. It's really focused, you know, in this, in Australia, we're small, only 400 guys trained to be a fighter pilot in 40 years. And uh, it was very, very much about yourself and, and the focus you have to put into, to get to that point. And I think 
what happened in when my marriage imploded and a whole bunch of personal issues happened. I was working in Afghanistan, but as well setting up a business over there. But I met someone uh, who just said one thing that that changed my life, and I, I want to see whether this is something that you you had as well. Uh, and that that person introduced me to this concept of ego and and saying things like. I deserve to be respected. I need more. I deserve this. All of these conversations, how ruinous they are to your life when, when you constantly think that you're you're the center of the universe. And he taught me this concept of stepping out of your own body and pretending you're your best friend and start to look at things, you know, objectively. How important is it for you? Or when did you sort of conceptualize that concept of giving? Uh, and, and ultimately, that's that's the key to a fulfilling life. Yeah. Well, you know, and, first off, you can't, you can't like I said, you can't give what you don't have. If I don't have it in me, I cannot give it. So even the idea of me saying give sounds great, but there's people who have nothing to give, right? So first thing is, well, how do you get what you can give? And the first part of, I love you hit, it's called ego. And I say ego is E-G-O, everyone's greatest obstacle. In order for me to get to the point of having insight or knowledge, I have to pull back the layer of me that says, I know everything. I'm, the, I'm a former NFL athlete. I, I don't know anything. You know, like I'm, I'm an idiot. There's, there's more that I don't know I don't know than I'll ever not know. You know what I mean? Like this, it's just a vast area. So my first part of the ego was like, if I can pull it away, I can take insight from the world and actually get better as a human. So this in the beginning was like, my marriage fell apart too, man. Everything fell apart post-football because I had this ego of, I'm the greatest. You can't tell me anything. Started gym business. That thing failed. Marriage failed. Wasn't a present father. I want to take my life at one point. And it wasn't until I pulled the ego back and said, I need someone to help me that I got the insight to grow. And then when I grew, it's like, I call it, you ever heard the concept of marginal utility or marginal return? If I have, if I have 10 hamburgers and I'm hungry and I eat three hamburgers, I'm full. I can't eat seven more hamburgers, but I want to still feel good. Well, what do I do? Well, I can go and give seven of these hamburgers to other hungry people. And so, I, again, I can't give what I don't have, but when I have enough of it, now I just have to give it because there's no more benefit to me at a certain point. So I, I love that question because the truth is, yeah, you got to give, but again, you got to get past the ego that will allow you to learn what in the hell you got to do to get to the point of having enough of something to give it in the first place. And I, I like that, uh, the expression, which is that, you know, I'm now old enough that I realize that I don't know it all. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I think when, you, when you're younger, I think you tend to do, you know, have a bit of the know-it-all phase, but, uh, and that is the, the ego subsiding. Don't, don't you, you think that's a process you have to go through though? Mm. I think it's hard to find that wisdom when, so. when you're in your mid-20s, right? Yeah. I, I think... I think, and I look at, at kids now, uh, and and they're so overwhelmed by information and and knowledge, which which we probably didn't have so much. And no. all you did, and as a as a aspiring NFL player, is follow the bouncing ball to the best of your ability. Like there's there's high school programs, college programs. You became successful because of your execution, because you were able to take something, conceptualize it, and execute upon it. Uh, that skill set alone, right there, the ability to take something and do it is incredibly powerful. And people don't know how to do that, that haven't been part of these these programs. And, and your ability as a coach, I believe, to help people shift is because in your DNA, you know you know how to do it. You know yeah. how to take a goal. It's almost second nature now. Yeah, it almost happens. It happens accidentally in public with people that don't know me. My wife gets bothered by it. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, her job, I guess. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And I agree, man, that the thing that football taught because you have to have a dream that's bigger. If you don't have a dream you want to taste and touch, you're not going to go after it. People, they set these dreams that seem cool, but it's somebody else's dream. And like, like if I want a car, I go to the dealership and I sit in it because I want to taste and feel and touch. I don't taste it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And lick it, it's you know. Good. You're letting a few secrets out now. Yeah, I want to touch the tires. I want to feel like, because then I can think about at home, I can daydream about it correctly. So that's the big vision piece. But then it's a plan, man. And not enough people, like right before this call in my coaching programs, we deconstruct people's ideas into structural plans. Like football, I got to have a game plan. I don't walk out there and play against Tom Brady with no game plan, you know? And the game plan's a big piece because you study what you got to do and then you go, to, you go to work. And little by little, you get better at planning and audibling when you need to. Halftime, I got to make adjustments based on what I saw, right? But I got to have a plan in place. And then you have this part where everybody, they, it's a lot of people they get to the point of having some kind of plan. The problem runs into doing the damn plan. There are so many people with vision boards and amazing little structural stuff, and there's a lot of procrastination and poor execution. And I figured out what it is. It's like, it's a fear of something, whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of not. And if it wasn't some kind of fear, it already be done by now. It just doesn't get done. And so what I do is I teach people how to go, like when I did football, every single play, 
I have to go out there and execute on this game plan, even though it might hurt me. I might, you know, have a failure, look stupid. Um, I, I may, you know, I'm, I may look on to millions of people on TV like an idiot, but I got to go execute every single play. And when I do that, I win. But the big key, man, boo, the big key is consistency. None of this stuff matters if I don't have disgusting discipline and consistency. That's the thing that football taught is like you weren't allowed to come to practice and not play at high levels. You weren't allowed then to not to miss workouts. You had to read the playbook, watch films. So to where it becomes a, an even natural effortless flow, when you get to that level, dude, that's when it's a game changer. And football taught me all of that. And that's definitely what I plug into people's lives now. Yeah, it's funny because the number of times my favorite C word comes up, you know, yeah. consistency. <laughs> yeah, you know, we debriefed the podcast the other day and Sean's like, oh, I didn't know whether I nailed that one. I'm like, dude, just stick with your theme, man. You're the consistency guy. You're, you're, you're the guy that tells everyone to show up every day. Let's do it, uh, man. But uh, what, 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 point, what point, Anthony, did you realize, you know, and you touched on it before, that you know, at what point did you realize that I can't do it on my own? And what did you, who did you just surround yourself with that gave you what you needed to grow from the football frame, that very internal frame to now starting to focus externally and, and really getting to clearly what's something that you're extremely passionate about? Yeah, I mean, so I call it the hive, like life should be sweet like honey. You need a beehive to make that, right? It's got to be more than just you, man. A queen bee can't do it alone. Uh, <laughs> and so what happened was 2009, I'd started this gym business after football. I got nine months in, a guy rolls up on a Harley motorcycle, he hands me an envelope and walks out. And it was a, a, a letter from the landlord, legal papers for eviction. I was getting evicted in two weeks if I couldn't come up with the right amount of money, which I didn't have in my pockets anymore. It all been gone in the business to make this thing work. My ego didn't let anybody help me grow the business. And I was just like, it'll work. It wasn't working. So that I had $4,000 in my bank account. I owed $16,000. I had no more money coming in. And in that moment, uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, an email come in or someone come in and somebody's a coach. I'm like, damn, well, if I give this guy a call, because here's what I realized in football, all my years, I always had a coach. I succeeded and did well because I had a coach. I can see what's in front of me. I'm a phenomenal athlete. I can see this. I can't see the field, though. I needed someone who saw the field that could be like, hey, dude, you did this, but you could have been better over here, right? Someone that was seeing more than I was seeing. And granted, they couldn't do what I could do. Like he couldn't play. The, my coach couldn't. He had busted kneecaps. He couldn't play the game I could play, you know, like physically, but he knew more. So I hired this guy named Pat and Pat came in and here's the thing. He was a $6,000 coach. I only had 4,000. We were under the understanding that if the only way you're going to get your extra two grand is if you actually get this <laughs> money. Yeah, yeah. Now, four yeah. months later, we had got to, we had quadrupled the revenue. I, I'd been able to buy a new car. We were on the up and up, no issues. Um, but that was the moment. It was like, I realized I had no idea what I was doing. If I, if I worked real hard with this, this mindset of mine, with the same base of knowledge and direction, I was still going to get to the same place I'd already landed. So I needed someone that knew a different direction to pull me there. I really love that, that frame that you said, it's you know, using the sporting reference, because it's, it's one of the biggest frustrations I see when working with particularly my focus is small business owners. And the fact that, and that was me for 15 years, you know, doing it all myself and struggling through and not, not asking for support and all that sort of stuff. But, but that frame that, as you said, you know, you're the player out there doing the play, but you need someone who can, who can see the entire field and, and tell you what's going on at somewhere else in that. Because if you're so focused on that one play, you've got a laser, laser focus you can't see on either side of yourself, you know, or behind yourself. And that, that's just one of those frustrations that you see. And, and, uh, and it can be so life-changing, like it sounds like it was for you, because you, you were primed for it. You were already used to having coaching and stuff, and then you went, hang on, sport, business, is it actually that different? Because the commonality is me, so therefore I need someone who can you know, slap me around the chops a bit and get me to do, do what I need to do, you know? and it, clearly it worked. Oh, yeah, it was hard. But the thing is crazy, people think that a coach makes it easy. They, they tell you what the right hard work is. It's the yeah. best way I can. It's not about finding someone coach that makes it easy on you. They tell you what the right hard work is. Because things he made me do, I did not want to do, dude. I was like, I don't want to do any of that. And But I did it, right? I did the work and lo and behold, it works. And so for a lot of people that do hire coaches, their problem is they hire with the wrong perspective. It's not yeah. so someone can do your job for you. You're going to do hard work. It's better to do the right hard work than the wrong hard work. And on one of the other videos I saw uh, when I was having a, a bit, doing a bit of background on yourself, uh, you you said the you you make people uncomfortable, you know, and that's you know I think that's 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 the job, that's the role of a coach. A coach is not going to say there, oh you've done five push-ups, are you a little bit tired? I'll oh, just go and have a rest, you know, like whether it's 
post physical training or you know uh, any other form of, form of training it requires a certain amount of tension or stress or, or, or difficulty to allow for the growth. It's a good point that you make because, Anthony, how, how much capacity do you think the average human has? Just walking around every day, doing your job, checking in nine to five, how much capacity do you believe is left in that person's tank if they just knew what they're fully capable of? Um, and genuinely, it, you got to be around like another 60% of your capacity. Because th- here's the thing that really gets me, and this is what really gets under my skin, is there are a lot of people that have a massive dream, but their level of where they say, oh, I- I've taxed myself, I'm overwhelmed, I can't work any harder, it is so far below what that dream needs of you, demands of you, that it- I tell people you have one of two things to do right now. Either one, you have to get into your head what it's going to take to achieve that, or get out of your head this dream. You don't have another option. It's either get the idea of like what you're telling. T- if you were to give this, this this structure of what you think is, is a very difficult, if you were to put this in front of Oprah or Elon Musk or Richard Branson, would they agree with you? And typically they go, oh, yeah, no. Okay, cool. Now that you get that, let's go to work, right? You may feel maximized. <sighs> Take a breather. Let's go, go back to work. Because like you said, tension, the tension's necessary to build strength in the body. It's the same thing for your work. You got to build the strength by having the tension and practice. I mean, it's 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 you're achieving your dream is a set of skills, habit patterns that you don't have yet, and that takes time to to develop. We were talking to a, a CEO yesterday who just listed his company, uh, and and he was saying a bit like you were just saying with uh, people might hear what you're talking about that you're not aware of. He, the opportunities and the things that are going to make your dreams come true. You haven't even created the space for that to happen yet. You're not, there's not even a pathway for you to find the fork that's going to be the right fork in the road after you take 20 of the, of the wrong ones. What, what do you say, though, uh, Anthony? Because this is a really interesting one uh, that I find happens quite often when, when you talk to people and they say, ah, you're lucky, though. You're, you're lucky that you have a purpose. You know, you're, you're lucky that you, you had this dream. I don't have a purpose. I don't know what my purpose in life is. How do you deal with that? That question. And the purpose comes at the back end of you chasing a passion. You got to be bold enough to chase passion. So like you said, the forks in a row, dude, when I started this as a football player, and a football player, like it wasn't, I wasn't going to open a gym, but okay, next stage was open a gym. So open the gym. Down that path, I had another fork in the road to start presenting. On fitness though, so I'm like, okay, new fork in the road, let me present. In doing so, I started presenting for corporations, became a consultant, went down that road, started talking and speaking. People just wanted the fitness stuff. Eventually, someone said, oh, corporations, can you come talk to our, our organization over here? Cool, firefighters. I happen across that world of like, I'm going to teach firefighters to do stuff. Then they want to know my personal story. What's your personal background? Oh, it's this, this, and this. Hey, it's a guy that teaches you how to be able to tell that story and benefit other people's lives from it. And I'm Brandon Bouchard. I'm like, oh, cool. So I look down that road. There's a whole other world of speaking. So I start speaking. People start saying, hey, cool story. How do I do it for my life? Oh, here's how. Start coaching. So it's a, it's a walk and a bunch of things. But to be honest, every single one of them, I, I didn't think it was a, a purpose. It was more of a passion I was chasing. I was bold enough to chase it, though. It didn't always make sense. My heart said, Aunt, go do it. So I started chasing it. And in doing so, it's kind of like walking down a path and choosing forks in a road. And you kind of step in the pothole of purpose. I stumbled into this thing like, oh, damn, this. Oh, look at this. This feels good. It matches my story. I love doing this thing. I love hanging out with cool people. Like, so the idea I tell people is you want that purpose, great. That's a damn gift. You can't just all of a sudden sit in a chair and hope it hits you. You must earn that gift of knowing your purpose. It happens by going through the hard different legs of the journey of chasing passions that don't make sense to other people, that don't make sense to you, that are very difficult to make you go broke. Like it's all part of the journey. But man, if you can dial in, you will get the gift of your purpose someday. Yeah, I really, I really love that. The concept of chasing something you're passionate about because you're not going to be born with your purpose tattooed on your forehead so you can see it right there. I mean, some people probably you know, can get it very early, but it's very rare. It is something you've got to take action. If you're just doing Groundhog Day every day, the same thing, and you expect to uncover your purpose, as you say, I like the concept of you know stepping in the pothole of your purpose. And But it requires forward move, movement. You've got to be doing something, don't you? Yeah, you have to. If you ain't moving, man, you ain't getting nowhere. That's the crazy thing. People want to like is when I have clients that come on the calls with me sometimes, like if I do a sales calls every once in a while for one-on-one, 
They're like, well, let me wait till I start to work with you to figure out what I want to do. So I'll, uh, once I figure out what I want to do and I clarify that, then I'll give you a call. And my thing is, well, how long have you been struggling with that? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Probably last like six months longer. Okay, probably like a couple of years. So what makes you think that randomly you're going to all of a sudden have it? I don't know. What are you passionate about? I want to do da, da, da. Okay, so a year from now you want to do this, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, what if we went down that pathway together, chased that passion, and a new thing popped up? Like maybe that purpose you're looking for. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Okay, great. So we could do one of two things. You can sit here and keep stewing in your brain and driving back and forth to work. You don't like to go to work and in a job and a relationship you don't like. Or we can say, let's get some momentum, start building something and find out along this path what your purpose is. It's the only way you're going to get it. So it kind of is a nudging of not just like clients to work with me, but also a nudging logically of you can't figure out what you're supposed to do if you're not going towards anything. You got to get mm -hmm. some motion in, in an area that might not be your purpose now, but at least you learn something. You get some traction. You meet some people, get exposed to new environments. That's how you get the gift of your purpose later. And what about, what would you say to someone that says, ah, my purpose, my vision, I want to be rich and I want to be famous. What, would you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say to people like that, man? I, first off, I say it's, it's a man, it's honestly, it's a recipe for failure. Because if you just want to be rich, there's always more rich, which means you're always chasing an invisible line that you can never cross. And it's a really horrible place. What I say is, what do you want that riches to create? What if you could envision a palpable, true reality that that money created, what would it look like? For me, it's like, I want to travel with my family anywhere in the world. I, I, want to, I don't want to buy nice clothes. I want to buy nice trips. You know, I want to have some properties that allow me to have no need to actually have to work if I don't want to work, right? Passive revenue. So there's certain things. Somebody else might say, I want to have a boat and a Ferrari and a yacht and 17 women. Cool, man. Like, but if you don't know that one you're going to chase something that's going to empty your heart the entire time. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never get there, and you'll feel drained at some point. You'll, you, you'll be so broke that all you have is money, right? It's a whole different dynamic. And then at the same time, it's like if you want to be rich, it's like, yeah, but this, if you're chasing these things for richness, you find that rich comes and goes. If you're not looking at what you're doing it for, you'll eventually stop on the way. I know a lot of people that want to be rich. Here's the thing. They want to be rich. They're not rich. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They want to be. And that want to, if you have it attached to something, money in and of itself isn't enough of a driver for most people just to make money. Because the stuff you got to do to get it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn your soul up if there isn't a bigger purpose behind it. No, that's strong. That's, it's so true. Uh, and a lot of people struggle to come uh, to, to terms with that. And I think when people have dreams, they create that uh, hope response. Yeah. I hope one day that's going to happen. I'm not going to do anything. But it just keeps me going every day that hopefully something uh, will work. Yeah, we talk about that and go, look, hope's important in life, but hope is not the solution. So, one of the interesting things, Anthony, uh, about your story is your association with failure and your association with uh, things not working out the way that you would uh, see on Disney when it comes to uh, the white picket fence, the the family. Uh, we talk, and you also mentioned fear before. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, you know, Sean and I have observed, and the more you're aware of it, the more you see it, is how petrified people are to, to fail or, or to be seen to fail or make a mistake in, in front of people. Why don't you just share a little bit about your relationship with, with failure? Yeah, man, it's a, it's a living, breathing relationship I have with failure. It's, a, it's everybody's. There's actually a process I go through called reframing failure. It's a full, like, six step. But the problem is, is most people, like I said before, that thing that you're supposed to get done that's not done, the reason it's not is because you're afraid of something. It would already be done right now if you weren't afraid of it. Like, I'm not afraid of going down to, we talked about McDonald's. I'm not afraid of driving to McDonald's. I'm not going to fail in doing that. If I'm hungry, I'm going to go do that. If you said, hey, I want you to go out to the woods, hunt a boar, and kill that thing, I'm like, I'll find a bunch of reasons why not to go do that. You know what I mean? Like, Because <laughs> I'm afraid of it, to be honest. Yeah. So the reality is with fear, for me, I've, I've failed my marriage. My businesses have, have failed at times for sure. I've been close to bankruptcy. I've failed as a parent, man. I've failed as a son I've, 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 to my mom. I've A lot of failures, right? And the idea is most people unfortunately attach their identity to the failure. I am a failure. And we've heard this before. It's not that like brand new information, but I have a process where I look at it real quick. There's typically like six levels of failure. Top one's called abject. End of the world, can't come back. There's no fixing it. It, it hurts to experience it. Next one's called, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, oh, second one, <laughs> abject, structural. Big, important piece. Some could fail at it, but it could be fixed, but it's a lot of work to fix it. Then glorious failure. It's going to burn. I'm smoking a cigarette, watching it burn, right? These top three, 
most people have so much pain with them, they don't want to even learn. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about the relationship that failed, the business that failed. I might learn something, but I'd much rather drink a beer and go hang with my buddies and not even think about it anymore. I don't learn lessons from it. Then you have the bottom three, which are very useful and the most important ones. Common failure, why the apology was made. My bad, I made a mistake. Sorry about that. Version failure, this version sucked, but I make a new version for what I learned. Predictable failure, I knew it was going to break. I was filling the bucket to find the hole so I could patch them. So in my life, my failures, a lot of them were abject. My wife stepped out on me. Like, I'm never going to be loved again. I'm not a crescent father. You know, business failed. You can't do business. You suck at this. Why are you even trying? And I didn't even want to look at it because it hurt too much emotionally. I took no lessons. The moment I dropped everything down and said, well, what if this is a version of Anthony that sucked? What if that version of him wasn't very communicative or compromising in the marriage or as a father? What if the business Anthony, version of Anthony was, was smarter about, okay, what did he take on? What did he learn? What if the, I looked and said, predictable. All business is predictable. I put something out. Every single person that goes to my landing page is not going to love it, right? I know it's going to break. I'm trying to find out what to fix. So for a lot of people in life, they've taken all these things in the past. They've put them up in the abject and structural place, never learned. If someone right this very moment went back to their past and said, what's something that I feel like was the end of the world, and I drop it down to a level of that version of me wasn't the greatest, what can I extract from that moment? Now I can make version two or three iPhone 11, right? It's every single level from the version of whatever I did the best I could at the moment. I extract that lesson now, the silver lining, they call it. Now I can put it back in the world and get better and better over time. When you uh, had to leave the NFL, uh, I had a similar situation diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and I couldn't fly anymore. Uh, You know, you get your life dream at 21, it's gone. Uh, It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard place to be, isn't it? Like it's, it's 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 real hard. Uh, what what did you do to help get yourself out of that rut? What was what was the thing that kind of kind of drove you? And how how long did that process take? Oh yeah. Uh, well, the process. Well, first off, what I did was break my life. That's the best way to explain it. First, man, <laughs> it's a it's this unfortunate uh, byproduct. So I mean, whenever you've been doing something that it is who you are for, I was 13 years deep, and it's gone. I don't know who I am anymore. Like we, we, yeah. this is if you send a kid to college, you lose a job, you fall out of a relationship, whatever it may be, you leaving the career. These things suck, man. So I unfortunately broke my life for about a good six years. I was in a hole, man. No lie. I was just funky in a dark body, even more than that probably, but just in a funky place because I don't know who in the world I am without this thing. Did you have awareness of that at the time or were you just living in it? Were you just embroiled in it? Could, could you see outside yourself? It's a fog, bro. Like you're just, fo- you're surviving. You're in a fog. And what really took place was I, uh, I had, you know, got to this moment where I got to my bottom, dude. Rock bottom. I, I kid you not. I was like, if okay, I have no relationship. My marriage fell apart. I'm not a present father. I'm out of shape because I'm at this gym stressing out. The gym sucks. I'm not a football player anymore. Everything that made Anthony, Anthony was gone. I was like, well, if this is life after football, I'm cool. I don't want this. Like, ah, I'll, pay, you know, like I'll get out of here because this it it killed me. I sent a text to my friends and family at one point. I was like. To please tell my kids who their father was. I was done for a moment. And, and, it, and it really took me to a dark place. Thankfully, the, the feeling subsided. I took no actions. It was kind of like this wave of pain. And then I had a buddy sit down with me. He says, look, one, uh, never do that in your life again. I don't know what you're thinking, but don't ever do that. Two, when I found out what was going on, I threw up in the toilet because I thought I lost a hero. And it was a buddy I played high school football with, like a homie. I was like, what do you mean you lost a hero? He says, we all in this community, we know what you've gone through to accomplish what you have, the NFL, all these things. You're an inspiration to a lot of people, man. Just nobody tells you. And it was the first time I had a seed planted of like, well, well, maybe if, if I did this on purpose, I could be beneficial to people's lives. Maybe it would make sense of my life of crazy. Now, at that time, I'm in no place to be obviously telling anybody how to live life, right? I didn't want to. It was a very dark place. For a good three more years, I was floating. And then it was April 15, 2014 is the moment you're asking about. And I was in a room with my mom, and it was the back end of her 17-year-old battle with MS. And uh, I was literally holding my mom's right hand as she took her final breaths. And it was that moment that life became real, real. Like it just, it was like, this is life. It's this fast. It's gone. It's quick. And I was in a fog, not even enjoying my life. This woman was the reason I beat all the odds of football. Like if you look at even like foster kids, 75% of the inmates in a prison in America are former foster kids. Like I beat crazy odds because of her. So I made her two promises. Promise one was, I'm going to get out of this fog. I'm going to figure this thing out. That was the big catalyst. Like I, I can't be going through my life falling short of potential when she's already helped me achieve so much. What more can I do? And the big thing, secondly, was like, if I'm going to carry her message on, if you want to call it, or her heart onto the world, 
it would be to do what she did for me. Unconditionally love on this little black kid that wasn't her kid, that was crazy in school and got in trouble, that was a headache, but she loved me so much that it pushed me to the level of higher potential. Unconditional love. So I chose second, like I'm gonna unconditionally love on this world some way. And it turned into me actually finally watering that seed my buddy had planted years before and creating what I've created now and just telling more of the story, unpacking it for people and helping them to the point of reaching a higher potential. So when you when you're coaching and, and working with uh, people who are on their on their journey, what do you think of the are the sort of top three things that you see that people self sabotage or or are, are unable to to lean into it? And you know, there's no such thing as a hundred percent, right? So you you must see people kick their goal, people that are wavering in between, and then people that just fall off and, and can't do it. Like what? Is there any sort of trend you see there? Is there, is there any kind of triggers that you, you see people just fall off the journey? Yeah, man. It's the uh, it's the ego thing. We already talked about it. But the ego is the hardest thing for people to navigate. And there's a, for example, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast, I'm sure. I know. I, I, there's a ton of people, right? And on top of that, a lot of people have a lot of dreams. They want to aspire and create something new. The problem is, in a world of social media, no one ever wants to have anybody see them sweat. So therefore, what happens, my biggest problem is getting the person to admit that they're not doing things the level they can. Like they'll, they'll reach out for a little bit of help and I'll be like, well, you're doing this. Well, I'm kind of doing this. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not doing that at all. Where's like, my shortcut, Anthony? Where's the quick win? Come on, give it to where's me. Where's the information? Uh, What's the strategy? Yeah. I said, And yeah. I tell people, right now we're in a, a world that is addicted to strategies, addicted to more programs, more tools, this whiz bang thing. Let me learn this. <laughs> it's not about the information. It's what are you doing with it? And the ego is the problem at the very beginning because most people will not give themselves permission to progress because they will not give themselves permission to be sucky. They won't, they won't accept it. And the moment you do, it's like, oh, now I can get some help. So most people, when I start with them, I, I have to tear back this wall of, of facade that they have in front of them because they don't want me to, to think that they don't know everything. When I already know you don't, like it's the weirdest thing. So that's the first issue is the ego for people. And there's people listening right now that they, you know, for example, there's people that have on their bio, I'm a coach, and uh, they post pictures, and um, you know they got they got the, the the logo and the business cards, and they they do some social posts, but then they have like a, a thousand followers, and when you when you talk to them, like you need some help, no, I got it, I'm good, no, you're not, but as long as you keep <laughs> saying that, you're gonna still not be good. Yeah. Own up, like I need to work on something. Those people who come into the ecosystem, it's so much harder because they're the block themselves. Like people are, it's like, uh, it's kind of like someone's like stabbing themselves in the eye going, I can't, why can't I get stopped getting stabbed in the eye? Like, dude, cause you're stabbing yourself and can you stop? And then that piece flows through. And then after that, it's getting to the point of, of in the moment, like you ever worked out like really, really hard. Yes, you have. You know that point, like the work you're like, I don't want to move right now. I can't breathe. I don't want to go. It's in that moment that two types of people will come out of that moment. One person is the person who got to that point that's a gift and says, I'm done, and they stop and walk away because the most they can do. The second person gets to that point and says, I now know anything I do past this, I am for sure getting better. And my job is to get people to that point right there and not let them tuck away. And people make great excuses of not wanting to make that call or send that email, do that post, launch that program. No, no, no. You're at the peak. You earn this spot of difficulty. It's your comfort zone. You can't go anymore. Ugh, let's go a little bit more. And when you do that, now you become better. That's the second point. Most people struggle to get to that point and actually push through. And then third, no one stays consistent. Because if they do get success, they think it's somebody else that did it or it wasn't really me. They don't own it to a sense of like core, almost like brazen, like this is who I am. So they go back to old ways and they go back to old success, which is little success. Do you think people are afraid of success? Like real success? Hell like yes. Real? You know why? Yeah. It, there's people that are afraid of the, of the money that comes with it and the responsibility. There's people that are afraid of climbing the totem pole because somebody may see them and knock them down. Success is a very interesting monster that I think, in my opinion, the only fear people have is tied to other people's judgments or views. If it was you in a, uh, in a vacuum, you'd have all the success that you want, right? Because who's going to see you? Do your own thing. My wife included in this is odd. She makes great revenue, but she has no friends that also make her kind of money. So she doesn't share it, doesn't talk about it. I know it hinders her ability to make more revenue. It's very interesting dynamic, but people won't make this level of success take place because what if somebody sees me differently? And it's, I think that's a lot of the fear behind success for folks. And as you say, you talk about the fear. The fear is not something external. The fear is of what, we've, what we're going to feel 
That's the fear of what we're going to feel. There's nothing more. There's nothing more to it. And But people make it about other things, don't they? They make it about, oh, but it's this thing or it's that over there or, you know, my childhood or my parents did this or, you know, but it's actually all it is is about how we're going to feel. And it's such such an important thing. And I know that you're, uh, you know, part of what, what you do, you, you focus on the, the, the uh, you know, making shift happen. And it's about, you know, shifting people. And, and again, I, I want to touch again on the, the piece you, you talked about a little bit earlier, which is about identity. It's about, you talked about that, that you were, I am a NFL player, right? And suddenly that's gone, but your identity is still, I am an NFL player now wandering in the jungle with a machete and a bottle of water. And what am I supposed to do now? Because I haven't, because I'm lost. And so maybe touch on a little bit about the, the importance of that identity shift in being that person that allows you to have those things you actually want to have. Yeah, that's quite literally my entire work. Like I'm writing a book. I'm, and I, when I say writing a book, I just got done writing it like an hour ago. And I'm going back to writing it some more when we're done. Uh, but it's called identity shift. And, and in the work of what I do, the separator for me in my entire life spells football. My battles, my crises are always, who am I? Because I bought the books, dude. I did the courses. I was in the coaching programs. I was deep in the investment with zero return. It wasn't until I understood like how to shift who I was to do those things like I'd done when I was a kid in football. And for a lot of people, they don't grasp that it's a, it's a matter of, real, like you said, getting into a level where when it's who you are, it's almost effortless effort. Like if you get in a ring with someone who's trying out boxing and someone who's a boxer, I know who's winning. I just do. The problem is how do we get people there? A lot of people don't grasp how do I actually get them there. So when I say make shift happen for folks, mm-hmm. you get there really simply. You, you, you do things. <laughs> We've already talked about you taking action because what's crazy is there's a process um, that I call what you create creates you. If you, uh, if you look at uh, a sculptor, Michelangelo making this David, right? He, you probably went through some craziness of like busted hands and blisters and chisels and long days and late nights and all these things. And then at the end of it, he didn't just get done and say, ah, oh, yeah, I made a sculpture. No, he was a sculptor. You know, like I'm a, I'm a damn. And the creation process is long and arduous and draining. For you guys in this podcast, it's long to go through the process of building. And, ah, right. But when you get to a certain point, you're not trying to be that anymore. In the process of creating what you did, it created the you inside. So in the work of what I do, I'm getting people to figure out what's that thing that they will create that returns the creation of them inside to identify as that person. Yeah, I think I think identity is so important and people struggle with that. We're uh, end of the year here uh, in Australia and it's, it's when the kids get their high school scores, their SATs and what they're going to do. So what, what do they publish in the paper in terms of uh, which course you should do? which qualification you make the most money in, okay? So they're, they're, they're saying, you go to uni, you'll pop out as, a, as an undergrad and you'll make $90,000 a year. This is the course you want to do. There's no conversations around, this is a purposeful existence, this sort of work. There's nothing about getting a career in, in, uh, in social work or enhancing the planet or climate change. Or There's nothing purposeful in the mainstream media at all. This is a whole, this is... Every 18-year-old in the country and the mainstream media is saying to them, do your four years at university, get your degree, come into your undergrad, and then that's, your, that's 30 years of your life working in that, in that industry. Uh, so, so there's a lot of programming out there for, for people, huge, huge amount of programming. Uh, Sean, was, we were talking about uh, uh, some people within his circle there, uh, um, people that come from like a legal or accounting profession and, and how complicated they make the future look. Uh, so, so how, how do you, how do you break the chains of, of, of the societal norm? How do we, how do you get to a point where you can really truly believe that doing something you want to do can sustain you and your family and your life? Yeah. Well, I mean, first you have to, like I talked about earlier, have a crazy dream, man. If you don't have a dream that like is outside of that bubble, I can't talk to you about anything. Nothing I say will land, right? So if people got to be exposed like this to a podcast with people or books or shows that let people realize there's something bigger out there do, for Do you them. think everyone has a dream? Do you think everyone has one? I do. I, but I think that they may not know what it is, but they, their heart knows it is. Their heart knows this isn't the right thing. I just don't know what it should attach to. I, I, I have not met somebody who doesn't have some kind of compassion or passion for something. They may not know exactly where it can show up, but they have something because they'll know like a lot of people 
in everybody, right? We are being somebody every day, and that's how we become something, right? We, you have no choice in that. You've got no choice. You, you show up every day no matter what. Yeah, what. you're going to be something. You're on yeah. a path somewhere right now. And unfortunately, like you said, people throw things in the magazines and in the newspapers, and you just start being that thing that John or Bill or Susan told you to be at work or at home or your mom told you to be. And you had no idea that you were also becoming someone because of that. So at 50 years old, we have midlife crises. Who am I? I've been doing this job for 50 years. I don't even know who I am. Yeah, because you were just being this dude that John told you to be when you were 16. Like, that's not a good life, right? So first thing is in our world of connectedness nowadays, realize there is more than enough information out there for you to start sampling bigger parts of life. Yes, do your uni thing, have stability. I get that some people need that. But at the same time, you have a bunch of hours in the day, learn another skill. Figure out how to edit videos, start posting things. You can create something crazy and special and then realize, well, there are people out in the world who will actually show you how to make that a stable living, like genuinely just as stable as anything else. But a lot of people, we, they don't identify that. Can we explore a gray area, uh, mate? Because uh, one of the things that uh, I always find fascinating and is, is people, they attach to their passion. They've got an idea of what they want to do. They've been working for 20 years. They've got their house and they go out and they start a business and they remortgage their home. And one year in, it's like, oh my God, what have I done? No, uh, this and so I teach people, I'm sure you guys would agree with this. Your current job should be an investor for your business. You should, you should do like the whole nine to five, five to nine. I tell people what you do is at five to nine after your job, you do the things that build the systems to make your business make you money. You can't be in business. So you need to be, you can't be a business. You must be in business, so to speak. So I can get to the point of like doing something, but I need to systemize it. So I need to get to the point where I'm not just trading time for money, but I have something going on that allows this thing to make money if I can just turn the levers and click the dials. When you start making revenue and you realize the only limiting factor to more revenue is your time, then you jump over. But that should be planned where you're like, hey, six months from now, I'm going to consider doing this. So plan and, and save six months of income so you can actually live if you needed to for a few months, you know, say six months after. If you do it right, you won't have to touch it. It'll be there as a security blanket, but you can take this business you're starting, give it the time it needs to make the revenue it needs to not only have the same revenue you made, but surpass your income. But you shouldn't jump in, sell your house. That's craziness, man. Slow roll it. Build the business to where it just needs your time, then transfer your time there. How do you respond when people use the the you know favorite the favorite saying that I can't because? What? How do you respond to that? Oh well, well then I ask them what do you want to do with their life? They'll tell me I want to do this, and they'll say, oh I I uh, you know I want to have money, I want to do this, I want to take travel, take trips. I say great. So um, what's your excuse? They'll give me an excuse. I say okay, the person who has what you just said is that an excuse they'd give? Hmm. That's as simple. I do it all the time. I mean, probably daily I give that when people send me messages. What do you want to do? I want to do Okay, great. Well, have you tried doing this? I'm getting a coach, getting some help. Nah, I just, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the one that does that. Okay, cool. Uh, well, the person who, uh, who has what you just said you want, do you think they'd say that? And I mean, to a T, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, they wouldn't. You know, no, hell, they wouldn't. They wouldn't say it. I'm telling you that. They wouldn't say it. I had a client tell me, I told him to schedule your life four weeks out at least what we're doing right now. I need you to give me a four-week block. So you know when you can say no in two weeks or three weeks, you can build this project out. Oh, I can only do about a week. Why? Well, because I got some things that change. So you're telling me that you're accepting the level of success you've had because the way you want to operate is the way you've always done things and look what you have. Well, yeah. So I'm telling you the person who has what you're telling me you want, they do not say what you just said to me. That's, it's, it's really awesome. So let's, uh, I, I have a simple philosophy, which is the rule of threes. Uh, you can do, you know, uh, Three things a year, three things a quarter, three things a month, three things a week, three things a day. Uh, so be, just to have that simple focus, it's something we taught as fighter pilots. Always, you can never do more than three things in a mission. The, 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 the smarts are what are those three things. So for those, Anthony, and, and sort of wrapping things up, get, bring it to a close, I, I, I want to change my life. Yeah, I really, I'm in a funk. I'm, I'm in a fog. I like what I'm hearing, you know. I kind of get it, but... I'm in my, my mid forties, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I've got kids. What are the three things you would tell me to do or, or advise me to do or suggest to me the three things I could do over the next week to start my identity shift? Yeah, man. First thing is uh, it's, it's C. I tell people, you ever seen the movie Avatar? Where like, they're like, I see you. You need to Avatar C, bro. Don't just like see what's in front of you. There's a depth of C. 
And what I mean by that's two things. One, you have to see what invisible chains are holding you back in your blind spots. And some of that might be a belief. Some of it might be information, might be network. If you don't know what that thing is, you're never going to do the next thing, which is be able to see a bigger vision that you want to touch. Too many people are limited with the view they have because they're being held back. So they stay stuck the entire time. I tell people like if, if you're a carrot, like on the end of a stick, a horse is going to go after you. Like what's that carrot for you? And you're never going to see it if you don't understand why you're stuck. So I first need you to see, and that happens with other people typically. Go ask your wife or your friends or your people what limiting aspects you have that are keeping you stuck. They'll tell you. That you may not want to hear it, oh, but they'll tell you. And then you can oh, go, they'll be oh, waiting okay, for that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, you don't want to see it. But I do a whole drill, like a whole exercise in my programs. Then once you see, the next thing is you have to do the work to shift. Some people see what they got going on, but they never actually commit to the work it has to be done. In the next week, you could easily be committed to something that's going to be over time getting you there, but you must do that work to shift. And typically it's doing something that will do two things. One will help you achieve something and help you transform into the person you want to become. It's a being type process. The last thing is find out what you can be disgustingly consistent at. The sustain piece for me is what I do in my programs. I don't care what we start this week. Are you going to do it 52 weeks from now? Because if you can make that thing happen easily in 52 weeks, you get to access the next level of things you want to achieve in life. That's incredible. That's incredible. So um, when do you reckon the, uh, the new book's going to be uh, ready to, uh, to get out and about? And uh, It comes on May 18th, man. Oh, I already, May 18th. I already the date. I already, well, you can pre-order it now. If you go identityshiftbook.com, yep. you can pre-order it, but it comes out May 18th of next year. Hey, that's awesome, man. Writing a book is, is hard. It is hard to take a whole life. And, and experiences and condense that down into something that is, is consumable. So kudos to you, Anthony, for- uh, Thank you, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Achieving another major lifestyle, uh, life, another life uh, high point there. Uh, look, if you're in that rut and and you're listening to this and, and you're just not sure what to do, uh, get to anthonytrucks.com, uh, hit him up, have a chat. I'm pretty sure you're the kind of guy that'll that'll take a new uh, a new dude or a new a new girl on on board, mate, uh, to help them make that uh, that shift in life. I, I think that was hugely insightful. Absolutely, yeah, man. And, that's and, what I do. And, my entire I have. I mean, I, the, I do speeches, but a lot of I mean, my day job is is coaching people through a, something called the shift method, which does this. This is I'm not just giving ideas. Like we have full structure to how we do all this we're talking about. And I believe that is that you're an executor. You've demonstrated that from a young age, your whole life. It's not talk, it's execution. It's getting it done, leaning forward, getting that momentum, but that momentum behind what your what your purpose is. I've really loved the opportunity to talk to you today, Anthony, because it's just reinforced a couple of things for me, hit some of the my, my, my pain points back in the past. And I realized as much as I know this stuff, I've also been practicing a little bit of fear and, and, and getting in my own way a little bit. So I appreciate the opportunity to- You're very welcome, you. man. Thank you. I appreciate you guys Love having me. Heart. I hope this serves somebody's heart for sure. Uh, thanks again, Anthony. Really appreciate it. All the best. Take care. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.